The book of Joshua is the sixth book in the Bible. And in Joshua chapter 6, there is a story that you may remember from your childhood Sunday school class. The Israelites and Joshua were trying to overtake the city of Jericho, but it was shut up tight like a castle. So the Lord told the people to march around, blow their trumpets, and shout, and the walls of Jericho would come tumbling down. This is one of the most vivid stories in the Bible, one of the most memorable stories about God, about God's presence, God's promises, and God's actions in the midst of God's people. So one Sunday morning, a preacher of a certain church was visiting in various Sunday school classes just to see how they were doing, how they were learning the Bible. And on this particular Sunday, he went to the sixth grade boys class, and he asked them, knowing that they were studying the Old Testament, he asked them, who knows who knocked down the walls of Jericho? Two boys quickly raised their hands. They said, preacher, we don't know who did it. But we sure didn't do it. (laughs) The preacher was taken aback by this display of biblical illiteracy going on in his church. And with some indignation, he asked the Sunday school teacher, what do you think of that answer? And the teacher replied, well, I've known these boys since they were little and they've always been honest. So if they say they didn't do it, I believe them. And in great dismay, he walked out and he ran into, uh, in the hallway, the head of the church's trustees. And he said, I was just in this sixth grade boys class and I uh, asked them who knocked down the walls of Jericho. And two boys held up their hands and they promised that they didn't do it. And then the teacher said he knew the boys. And well, if they said they didn't do it, he believed them. What do you think of this? And the The trustee of the church, the head of the trustees, interrupted him and said, Preacher, uh, let's not fuss about who did what. We'll just fix the walls, taking it out of the general fund. (laughs) It's easy to forget about the presence of God. It's easy to forget about the promises and the power of God. We just live our lives and we take on challenges And we go through changes, and it's easy for us to forget about the promises and the presence and the power of God, even the trustees. And we're all trustees. That's my point today. Even the trustees and all of us can forget about about God. It's so tempting just to continue on and let those promises of God just drift far away from us. Thanks to some keen insights from one of my favorite theologians, Jonathan Sachs, I want to take us back a little bit further, even further than Joshua, to an early story in the Bible to remind us about life with God and life for God and life in God's service because all of us trustees, all of us, are called to life with God and life in service to God in response to all that God has bestowed on us, all that God has given us. There's a story in Genesis chapter 4 about Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are the first children of the first people in the Bible, Adam and Eve. 
In chapter 4 of Genesis, the first people of the Bible, Adam and Eve, created by God, in God's image, it says, have the first children, twins. And within a few short verses, you might remember, the children are grown, and they each made an offering to God. The first religious act in the Bible. So then, within a few phrases, there is, as you might recall, fratricide. Brother killing brother. First children, first religious act, then first murder. And it's all within a few verses. Cain, angry that his offering is not as acceptable to God as Abel's offering, kills his brother, Abel. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs unpacks these powerful, heartbreaking verses by looking at the very names of the people involved in this story. In the names of these brothers, we get a tremendous insight into our lives as trustees. Trustees of all that God has given. Trustees in service to God with all that we have and all that we are. Bear with me for a moment as I try to unpack this. Abel, in Hebrew, hevel, is a word for breath. There are a number of words for breath in Hebrew. Hevel means shallow breath, ephemeral breath, fleeting breath. This word hevel appears lots in another book of the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a book that reminds us that life is fleeting. All the wealth, all the glory, all that we might accumulate means nothing because all that separates us from non-existence is mere breath. Hevel. Life is short. Life is mere breath. When we have no breath, well, everything else we have falls away. Abel, Hevel, One of the first children reminds us that life comes from God. Breath is God's breath in our lives. And life is fragile. Mere breath. All that separates from the grave is the breath that God breathes into us. Our life is holy because God is holy. And our living is meant to be holy because we live life with God. What eventually kills Abel is his brother Cain. Cain, in Hebrew, means to acquire, to possess, to own. The verse actually says, Eve conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have acquired, Kaniti, I have acquired with the help of the Lord. Cain, Kaniti, equals acquire. Cain means acquire. As it turns out, within those few verses, Abel's life, Hevel, Abel's life proves to be mere breath, killed early on by his brother. And Cain, well, he spends his life uh, seeking to acquire, living out his name. He sought to acquire God's blessing. He sought to acquire position in life with wealth and possessions. It led him to the worst kinds of actions. It led him to a life ostracized and alienated from God. Even Jean-Jacques Rousseau, the 18th century Swiss philosopher, noted about this Genesis story, quote, the first man who having fenced in a piece of land and said, this is mine, and found people naive enough to believe him, 
That man was the true founder of society, Rousseau says. And from how many crimes and how many wars and murders, from how many horrors and misfortunes might not anyone have saved humankind by pulling up the stakes, by filling up the ditch, or crying to his fellows, beware of listening to this imposter. End quote. Rousseau makes the same point as the Bible. You are undone. You are undone if you spend your life and your energy seeking to acquire. The desire to acquire, we see in the Cain story, puts Cain on a terrible trajectory. The desire to acquire, as we see in so much of history, puts us at odds with the broader message of Scripture. Cain represents power as ownership and ownership as power, and that is not the way of God. The Hebrew word Baal, the name of the main Canaanite god, uh, has the same range of meanings. To own, to possess, to acquire, to exercise power. And that, all through the Bible, is the primary form of idolatry. And when we are driven to possess, we're on a path toward competing, which leads us to violence, which leads us to death. And that's the story of Cain. And that's the story of our history when we live like Cain. But here's the message of the Bible. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth is the Lord's. The entire story of the Bible reminds us that we actually own nothing. We own nothing. Everything. Land. Produce. Power. Sovereignty. Even children. Life itself belongs to God. We are mere trustees. We're stewards. We're caretakers. We're guardians on God's behalf. This is what we affirm today at the baptism for little Caroline. Child of God. She belongs to God. She's been given to her parents, uh, Gordy and Sarah, to love and nurture. But like all of us, We're really just trustees, and they're just trustees, a little Caroline caring for her, but she ultimately belongs to God. We oversee. We oversee property. We oversee time. We oversee our children, but we do not own. We possess for a time relationships, things, space on the earth, but we cannot take it with us. We care for, we guard but never acquire fully the earth, all that it contains, the world, those who live in it, belong to God. This is the primary, this is the consistent theme throughout Scripture. This is what is so unique and so authoritative and transformative about the Bible, giving us a way to live as God's people. We're merely trustees. We work with God for God's purposes in the world, We watch over all that God has given. There's a tendency to think that the word trustees means something of power and distinction. It does not. It means responsibility. This is what we want to learn from the Cain story and from all the Bible. There's a tendency to think that trustees serve for a time and then they rotate off. Not in the Bible. We're all trustees and we never rotate off. 
It's our regular calling to live responsibly as stewards of all that God has given us always and forever. So now think back to that first lesson that that Alex read a moment ago. God says, see, I have set before you life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey my commands, if you walk in God's ways, live with justice, live with equity, live with kindness, live with generosity, then you shall prosper and become numerous. But if you fall away, and this is really what it's saying, if you fall away and you seek to live like Cain and acquire and possess and own then that's the way of death, the way of other gods. If you bow down to other gods, that's the way to death. You will perish, Moses says. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God keeps trying to get us to understand that, and it keeps coming page after page of Scripture. We're merely trustees, been given so much, and called to be guardians, caretakers, nurturers of all things. C.S. Lewis, in the very famous Screwtape Letters, says this over and over again. The road to hell is found in uh, the illusion of ownership. The devil is always encouraging us a sense of ownership because ownership is going to lead us fast and furiously away from God. Ownership increases our self-centeredness. Just think about that and look around. Ownership increases our egocentric perspective. Moses says, choose this day whom you'll follow, life or death. The earth is the Lord's. It's not about ownership. We're merely trustees. Rwanda genocide survivor Clementine Wamaria, in her recent memoir called The Girl Who Smiled Beads, learned from her mother a coherent philosophy of how to live, sharing, sharing. She says, when slicing an orange to share, we were never to think this orange is mine and I'm giving you what is mine. No, she says, we're to think this orange is ours and we're sharing what is ours. The earth is the Lord's. We are trustees. We do not possess. We simply oversee for a time. We do not acquire We simply care for, guard what has been entrusted us. We've been given the breath of life, heaven, all of us, so that we can love and cherish life in the world, serving God as trustees. And this message becomes especially important on this week when we learn the dire straits of the planet, carbon emissions and climate change change or creating problems faster than we even knew about the earth is the lord's and we are god's trustees and our care for god's earth becomes extremely critical choose this day whom you'll serve moses said uh, eons ago life and god or not choose this day whom to serve Our second lesson comes from the Apostle Paul and speaks about how we live together this life with God. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning at verse 6. Paul says, the point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you've been 
if you've made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance so that by always having enough of everything, you may share abundantly. Share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, He scatters abroad. He gives to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgivings to God. This is the word of the Lord. So the enduring way, the enduring way of life with God is a life of love and a life of generosity not acquiring but giving the world teaches us to be selfish so often the world teaches us to be stingy and to look out for ourselves but God's love is grounded in the conviction that we've been covered we've been covered with God's gifts covered with God's steadfast love God has been so generous with us and we're invited to practice generosity, great generosity. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, Paul says. We imagine in our relative wealth that we're not so rich. That's how we think. But in fact, when love is at work, when generosity takes hold of us, we need very little. We need much less than we imagined. And then, and then we are free. Free as that little girl now walking out. (laughs) Then we are free to love, free to give, free to share. Like Jesus, this is our calling. Free to pass it along. Here's the gospel truth. The world is under new governance. That's what Jesus says over and over again. The world is under new governance. And this is an authentic regime change. Serve God with neighborly righteousness quit worrying about all the threats quit worrying about all the competitors give your life over to god and god's will for your neighborhood as an act of generosity and all the rest comes all the rest comes friends give your life over to generous giving for god and you will know god's abundant blessing may it be so hallelujah amen let us pray Thank you, God, for blessing us so abundantly. Thank you, God, for calling us, all of us, to be your trustees and to live with generosity following Jesus. Amen.